Blog Talk Radio. I was young, I would look in the mirror Didn't know it then, but now I couldn't be clearer I remember being filled with such wonder Before learning that the world can be harsher place that you were born and grew up in, shouldn't decide how you will be treated, cause we're all the same when everybody's breathing, waiting for a chance to set us free, waiting for the day when you can be you and I can be me, waiting for to Healing Paradise Presents, and today we are going to talk about the many aspects of the mirror with our special guest, Reverend Harvey L. Bailey. But before we get started, I'm going to go ahead and get us prayed in, and we will be right back. Thank 
about the many aspects of the mirror and to go in depth and in detail about that I have on the line Reverend Harvey L. Bailey. Say hi Harvey. Hi Harvey. <laughs> Let's give him a round of applause family. Good morning darling. How are you? I am commanding life with the power of elegance. How are you doing? I am whole, perfect, and complete. (laughs) So, family, one of the things that uh, I end up doing sometimes is beta testing um, the the ideas that um, that Reverend Harvey has, you know, programs that he's putting together. And we've been doing the spiritual. I guess you could is the spiritual life coaching. Would you call it, it that, Harvey? It is called SEEK, S-E-E-C, Spiritual Empowerment and Enlightenment Course. Okay. All righty. So I have been doing the SEEK course, and the most recent thing that we have worked on is the mirror and how life is mirroring back to you who and how it is that you are presenting in the world. And I will admit that this was a subject that was really rather, I guess you could say, confusing to me. I mean, because I could see how in some ways life was mirroring itself to me, but there would be other ways that I wasn't so sure. Um, But after doing this part of the SEEK course, I I was like, okay, that provided me with so much clarity. And if I need clarity, and I've been doing this for a while, <laughs> then the people who listen to this show um, probably feel the same way. So, uh, Reverend Harvey, before but before we get started, um, you know, many of you who have probably listened to the show for. A long time know that Reverend Harvey and I used to do One Love, One Connection, One Us before King took over. And also, um, you know, he and I used to be, uh, used to do relationship coaching. And, and he was, he was the person that I always talk about as practice. But, you know, I'm going to give you the opportunity to kind of talk about yourself for a little bit. And then we'll get, go ahead and get started. Okay. Well, as you mentioned, I am Harvey L. Bailey. I have been into metaphysical, spiritual self-help stuff since the mid-'80s. Of course, when I was living in Texas, that increased. 
as I started studying the Kematic religion, the ancient African religion of uh, the Metuneta, and I got into like uh, magic from Wallace Fudge, the Book of the Dead. I started studying that and got into magic, and also while I was in Texas, I took the silver method. Way back at that time, it was known as the silver mind control. Somewhere in the later half of the 90s, they changed it to silver method. Um, And this progressed on. By the end of the 90s, I studied Reiki, became a Reiki 1 and 2 practitioner, About eight years after that, around 2008, I became a master teacher. In between then, I'd studied such things as energy healing, um, vibrational healing. I had taken classes and, well, I had had an angel attunement um, and several other things. So I've been dabbling, if you will, in this field with uh, metaphysics and spirituality for quite a while. And it's only been since the early half of last year that it has occurred to me that I really need to make it a daily part of my life. And so I've created new practices um, where I honor the self with different self-love techniques on a daily basis. I do meditation. I do visualization. I chant. I do affirmations, um, physical exercise in the form of a workout. Um, and there are different things that I work on throughout the week as far as creating the person that I want to be. Um, and there are different exercises that I do to do those things. So it, it's really just been a manner of doing stuff to change my energy, my vibration, and set my focus, working towards, if you will, a be-do-have type mentality where for the average person it's I'll believe it when I see it type of thing but the truth of our universe is one where you have to believe it then you'll see it so it has to be the other way around you have to be do and have and it's easy for many spiritual teachers to say that it's hard for the average person especially someone who's truly disconnected from that type of spiritual thought to do it because the way the human mind itself is created. You know, in our earliest years, by 14, we've kind of settled in who we're going to be. And all the years we add on to that, we accept information that works for us and we reject information that goes against what we believe. So by the time we get into our 30s, 40s, and 50s, we've already kind of made up our mind on who we is and what life is about. So when we're trying to change that paradigm, the old us that's rooted in there is always pulling you back. It's always taking you back to what homeostasis is for you, that place of comfort. And when I say that place of comfort, if I talk about comfort, you know, some people came from abusive family. The place of comfort is being around chaos and abuse. Yet someone would say, well, that's not comfort. To the spirit it is because this is what the spirit learned growing up. And so the spirit 
to some level, some degree, is used to this and is always seeking that. And the reason I went that way is because that's a mirror. You know, you tend to find people who keep recreating these things in their life, and they're wondering, why does this keep showing up in my life? You know, why is it everybody I date so abusive to me? Look back at the past. You keep creating it. They're just holding up the mirror. They're showing you the mirror of what's going on inside you. And so to make these changes, you have to be diligent. You have to be willing to fight the greatest enemy you'll ever fight. That's the inner me. I-N-N-E-R-M-E, the inner me. And when you start that battle, you realize the only battle you'll ever have in this life is a battle with yourself because everybody else is just a reflection of you. They're only showing you an aspect of who you are. And when you can change the inner me to be what you want, then life starts to show up the way you want. So, Arlene, that's who I am. And also, as you mentioned, I am an ordained reverend. I actually became ordained in 2014. And speaking of being an ordained reverend, I just got an opportunity just yesterday that 4th of July 2020, I will be in Holland. And if all the paperwork is in order, I will be officiating a wedding overseas in the Netherlands. Uh, right now. <laughs> I'm so happy. We're gonna give and we're gonna give you an applause for that one too. <laughs> okay, <Thank> so <laughs> you're quite welcome. So well, let you know, you talked about the many aspects of the mirror, so let's go ahead and and get into that. Like, well, you can start out with, go ahead and start with the first one, I think, that you shared with me when when we were going through our uh, our process with the class this last time. Okay. Well, for starters, there's five mirrors, or well, the mirror shows up in five ways. The way that the mirrors show up, for starters, let me say this. Everything is a relationship. Arlene mentioned that she and I used to do relationship coaching together. Everything is a relationship. When you manifest in this world as a baby, coming into this world, when you manifest here as a baby, all you're going to do from the day of your birth to the day of your death is have a relationship. That relationship is literally with yourself expressed through everything else. So you're always having a relationship with self, and it shows up as your life. So you could say you're having a relationship with life. You're having a relationship with your job. You're having a relationship with your car. You're having a relationship with your house. That is all this is. This life is nothing more than a relationship. And everything in this relationship is showing you who you are. So the relationship shows you mirrors of you in five different ways. The first mirror is reflection of the moment. So reflection of the moment is what most people who've heard 
of uh, mirrors, light being a mirror, think of. They, this is the one that the mind automatically collapses on because you look in the mirror, you see your reflection. So the reflection of the moment is what we typically think. When we see something, we think it's reflecting back a direct reflection to us. Sometimes it is operating on that mirror, reflection of the moment. An example of a reflection of the moment is this. I'm sitting on the bus stop, and I'm thinking, man, this bus has been taking a long time. You know, it's cold out here. It's chilly out here. I really wish somebody I knew would come by. And then, you know, my mind gets distracted, and I start thinking about other things. I start thinking about how cold it is out here. And then I had this thought. You know, it would be real cool to see Dave. I ain't seen Dave in a minute, you know. And within five minutes, Dave pulls up. Hey, you need a ride? Like, oh, man, I was just thinking about you, you know. We had those experiences. You know, one of the most popular ways that happens with people is you think about somebody and then they call. Call, that's a yeah. Yeah, that's a reflection in the moment. It is a direct reflection. And one of the biggest things about that to understand that is this, the tighter the connection because we, we create bonds, you know, and, and these aren't bonds that you can necessarily see. I mean, obviously you see two people together or you know people, you know that they're really close and you say there's a bond there. But there's actual a real spiritual bond. There's, there's invisible cords that tie people together. And when those cords get stronger and stronger, as they may in siblings, as they may in spouses, as they may in best friends, you notice that their cells actually start to change. You know, we've all heard people look like their pets. People, if you've been married long enough, you start to look like your spouse. You know, I remember um, back in the days when I was a teenager, you know, the old guys used to speak, used to spit out old school inner city wisdom. Don't worry about it. If you take care of them long enough, they start to look like you. <laughs> the cells actually do regenerate because there is a real cord. There's a real cord. Even though you can't see it and you can't feel it unless you're sensitive to energy, you know, like an intuitive, but there's a real cord that bonds people through their interactions and their heartfelt feelings for one another. That cord actually opens up the psychic ability for these people to communicate or know each other. So they did studies as far back as the 50s with twins, and they would find that there was this connection between twins. You know, they didn't have to be in the same state, but one would know when the other one was feeling sad or when the other one was happy or if there was a problem with the other one. They would know, of course, because they had that bond. But you don't have to be a twin. You know, you can build this with anyone who you open your heart to, if you open enough of your heart to them. So when that happens, you often, with that person, create the, um, the mirror in the moment. Those are people who show up the most 
in your mirror in the moment. Sometimes you can be thinking something, and, and I was once in a, a, a relationship with this woman where we were often kind of thinking the same things. The problem were the things that we were thinking weren't necessarily the best about how she was showing up in the relationship. And so, you know, that would piss her off because she'd think it and I'd say it. So my reflection to her was right there in the moment. As she was thinking that she knew that she needed to bring more to the relationship, she might have needed to, you know, wanted to be a certain way in the relationship, but circumstances wasn't allowing that to happen. I was voicing it, you know, because the energy was there. I was picking up on it, and maybe I didn't have all the background. Maybe I weren't able to see it from her perspective, but I was mirroring the thought in the moment of what she was having. And so when her thoughts would come out of my mouth, it would end up being, you know, obviously anyone who's been in a relationship <laughs> knows that if you say certain things that a person is thinking about themselves, you step all over their feelings. So it doesn't work well. And then if you're doing this and you're consistently doing it and you don't necessarily have the empathy or the background to understand, then you're taking a position based off of your perspective, your view of it. You know, you're only seeing how it affects you, and you're not really getting the whole picture. And that creates another problem. But, again, if you understand, everything is a relationship. Everything is a relationship. Even your relationship is a relationship. And so (laughs) that's what I was reflecting back to her. But what I was getting was what she was reflecting back to me. You know, there was always the feeling that as much as I would like this relationship to work, I don't think it's going to work from day one. And so she was reflecting that back to me by not being able to really fully commit into the relationship. So that's a big one. But before I turn it back over to you, I actually want to share this story. You know, I mentioned years ago the indigenous people of parts of Asia was not understanding or did not necessarily understand how the mirror worked. And so when a woman would become pregnant, because the gestation period is 40 weeks, nine months, you know, it it wasn't seen that this birth was connected to them having sex. And so the birth was thought as some kind of special, miraculous event by some, by others it was thought of, you know, they eat certain things and like, no, no, don't eat that because... This is what will happen. It it was the only way their mind could equate it. It never, because, you know, they didn't have technology, they didn't have the sciences to say, hey, you know, look, this is what happened. You guys were involved in intercourse. You know, the man's sperm went in. There was an egg. The egg became fertilized, and there was a gestation period of, you know, nine months. They didn't have that. So all they could understand is what they could see. And the distance between it meant in their mind there was no connection because they needed to see a mirror in the moment. We have sex, you get pregnant. Wow. <laughs> now, imagine that, women. <laughs> women imagine that. You have sex, wow. The next day, there it is, big belly. <laughs> so mirror in, the, mirror in the moment is the first one. But that's not the only mirrors that we have. 
Okay. Well, let's let's talk about the the next one. We've already talked about the year and the month, but let's talk about the next one. And and I guess you know you can give an example of it. Sure. The second mirror is a reflection of what we judge. And also, just so that you guys know, um, this all this information is coming from the great author and scientist Greg Braden. You know, I've done a lot of studying and reading of Greg Braden's books, and he is one of the best out there in explaining mirrors, um, quantum physics, and, and just, you know, how human beings are connected to the almighty. He goes into various different ways of breaking it down. So I just wanted to put that out there, that this information is from Greg Braden. And if you get anything um, by Greg Braden, like The Divine Matrix or several of his other books, um, The God Toad, you will be able to learn more about uh, how mirrors work. So the second one is the reflection of what we judge in the moment. So this one's an interesting because this one people aren't necessarily as connected to as we would be with a reflection of something in the moment. You know, obviously in that example, if I'm sitting there and I think about my boy showing up, you know, after having a thought that it's cold out here and I wish somebody would come by and give me a ride, he shows up and give me a ride, I can obviously connect that. I'm very conscious that it was cold and I needed a ride, and then I had a thought about him, and he happens to be the one who shows up. That's easy. But what about when we judge stuff? As human beings, we're always judging. We judge ourselves. We judge other people. We judge through our value system. We judge through our religion. We judge through our communities. We judge at work. You know, we judge on a political scale. We judge everything. It's what we do. And we're not often cognizant of what we judge. A lot of people judge themselves very harshly and have been doing it for so long, don't even realize it. If you've ever been around somebody, they make a mistake, and they're like, oh, man, I'm so stupid. I'm so stupid. I can't believe I didn't see that. That is them judging themselves. And for a lot of those people, if you ask, why do you say that? Why are you judging yourself? They're like, I'm not judging myself. Yeah, that was definitely a judgment. You just deemed yourself so stupid because you didn't get this thing because it managed to slip by you. You know, that's a judgment. But it becomes a part of who they are, something that usually they learn from someone else. You know, someone may have treated them a certain kind of way, made them feel a way, or made them feel like if you make a mistake, you're stupid. How could you not got that? It was right there in front of your face. And they've taken over from that person's voice and made it a part of their voice, and they don't even realize that they're judging themselves. So when we're dealing with, you know, reflection of what we judge in the moment, we may not actually be realizing that we were making a judgment call on something. So, okay, so so <laughs> let me let me see if if I have a, a a good grasp of this. So would you say that say for instance, um a student has been having challenges uh in a class mm-hmm. and the teacher themselves, you know, 
has this expectation that the student isn't able to learn. And as a result of the child not able, they're not easily grasping the information that when the teacher sort of labels them as, you know, just says, well, they can't do it. They're, you know, they're not advanced enough. Whatever, whatever story they tell themselves is that example of judgment in the moment. That is a very good example of judgment in the moment because the minute the teacher takes on that mindset and they start judging the student, every time this student asks the question, the teacher's mind, without the teacher being cognizant of it, goes into a judgmental mode, and this person is treated differently than someone else would be because the teacher has already made up their mind. They prejudge this person that they're not going to pass this class because they can't learn. They're not good. And so whereas a teacher who didn't judge them that way would hear the student, would clearly hear the student, not necessarily the words, but the cry for help, and would be able to tune in or at least be more sympathetic and open to helping. The teacher who's already judged the student as going to fail this class and can't make it, gives a short curt answer or gives an answer littered filled with filled with frustration. And that frustration only pushes the student further away. The student starts to feel like I'm not going to get it. The student starts to show up exactly as the teacher thought. So yeah, that's a very good example and there's been lots of examples of that, you know, throughout American history where people have been told there was a, a study, um, I think it was um, Napoleon Hill, and, and I could be wrong, could have been Dennis Waitley, but it was like one of those guys from back in that era who had told, who tells a story about a school teacher, um, and I'm leaning more towards Napoleon Hill because I, I, I kind of hear his country accent in my head. But he tells the story of, of this teacher who was trying to teach the kids about racism. And so she tells the class that children who are born with blue eyes are superior to children who are born with, you know, brown or gray eyes. And so the children with blue eyes start to show up differently in the class. You know, they start to act smarter. They start to believe that they're smarter. And then, you know, a couple months later, she said, oh, my God, dear children, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. You know, I misread the study. The study actually said children with brown eyes were smarter. And so then you see the switch. So (laughs) even though that is a, a, a controlled study judgment, you know, she put the idea into the children's heads, and then they started judging themselves and each other, and they showed up based on that judgment. They showed up in the moment based on what the judgment was. Because okay. So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. All right. So um, what what is the third aspect of the mirror? Okay, that would be reflection of what we've lost, given away, or had taken from us. Now, this one is very tricky 
when we talk about what we've lost, what we've given away, or what we've had taken from us. So, and I'm going to try to give an example of all those, of what we've lost. So let's start with that. What we lost. If you come from a family where average middle class family, average American city, you're used to a, a certain level of success. It's just ingrained in you. So it's hard for you to understand something less than that. You know, you didn't come from the inner city. You don't really understand that struggle. You see it, but that's not a part of your mindset because, you know, this is America, the greatest city in the world, and any and everyone can pull themselves up from their bootstrap. You know, you came up in a nice, you know, family in the suburbs, in middle America, in the average American neighborhood. You know, both parents were there. They had jobs. They drove cars. You know, you went to the mall on the weekend. You did average American things. You grow up, you go off to college, you get a degree, you go back and you get an advanced degree. Why? Because, you know, the mindset there is that your parents have installed in you that you should do better than they are. They're relatively successful, but you should be more so than them. So you get an advanced degree. You get a nice job. You know, you're making in the upper 80s. So, you know, now you alone is making what your parents make together. So you're living the American dream. You know, they had passed on successfully to the next generation their hopes and dreams for you. You get married. You have children. But, oh, no, economy shifts. Your company goes out of business. You're laid off. You have little to no savings, and now you're an experience. You're experiencing a different life. You know your house is being foreclosed. Your car is being repossessed. You're in a tailspin. You're trying to figure out where you're going to go, what you're going to do, how you're going to make it. You've been applying for jobs, but yes, there are a lot of jobs out there. But there's not a lot of jobs out there paying high eighties. The jobs that you're seeing the ones that will offer you a job at best is paying low 40s. So that's over half of your income gone. Your lifestyle is not going to survive on over half of your income being gone. So you actually survive this. You know, you, you stay in the battle. You do what you have to do. You find your way back. Now, 12 years down the line, you are in a better position. Things kind of resemble the way they once were. You made your way back, and now you're on top. Your wife stood by you. Your kids are now in college, the youngest one. Older kids are grown. Life looks good. But you don't take challenges. You don't, you don't take risks. You're very conservative in what you do. You know, instead of buying a house again, you rent. And even though your wife is like, honey, we should buy a house, you know, this is a legacy we can, turn, we can pass on to our kids. You don't feel comfortable with that. And even though you're now making six figures, every day you find yourself wondering 
what happens if this job goes? You're looking at other jobs all the time to see what else is out there. You're putting money away so that if something happens, you have a rainy day fund. You become very cautious in your thinking and your efforts. And your life is now, though it should be better, in a sense it's worse. There's a lot of static between you and the missus. You have more money than you've ever had, yet you don't live as openly, as freely, as big as you did once before. You're very miserly, according to other people. To you, you're just being frugal. You're preparing for a rainy day, but you're putting too much away for a rainy day. You don't celebrate. You don't do things. You're no longer living life. You're just in life. And you're not happy either, and you can't understand why, because that's a reflection of what you lost. You can't get past what you lost, and now your current life is reflecting that loss. You're no longer a part of life. You're hiding in a bunker from life. You have put up an invisible wall to keep you from feeling the hurt that you felt that life had dealt you. And that's I mean, we could use the relationship where somebody got their heart broken. It's the same thing. So that's how reflection of what we've lost shows up. But how about a reflection of what's been given away? The best one I can give for this is is a sad case, but it's the only thing that I can think of right now. Innocence loss for millions of kids in this country growing up in inner cities, their innocence is stolen for many before they even get out of elementary school because of drugs in the neighborhood, because of gun violence, because of the predators who care more about making money and less about human beings. And if you're human beings with melanin, you are at the bottom of that pile. So for many kids, they can't go outside and play anymore because the neighborhoods aren't safe. For many young girls, they walk to the store and they never come back. And parents are trying to find out what happened. So for these kids, this is what's been given away. And it's not something that they chose to give away. It's circumstances that was forced upon them. They gave away their innocence. It wasn't their fault. They didn't choose to live here, but they don't have the money to go somewhere else. This is what it is. When the gunshots go off outside and they're hiding in the bathtub or on the floor in the living room, there's nothing they can do. If they open that door and go out there and start yelling, stop it, they're likely to get shot. For kids who went to school with their best friend every day for three years, and then one day they got to go to school and their best friend is no longer in this plane. That's a pain that they carry with them. And so when innocence is taken away, in many cases therapy does not help those people come back because they're always living their life with that emotional scar. And so 
what their life is reflecting to them, the mirror that life is showing them, the pain that they take into their adulthood and that shows up in their life, you know, is the mirror. The mirror showing them what was taken from them. They're innocent. Often distrustful of other people. Often not feeling safe, even in their own homes, no matter what kind of neighborhood they live in. Some turning it to a life of crime because the thought was that there's no other way. You know, you can't beat them, so you end up joining them. But it's always anger and fear. And what life gives them back is always anger and fear. Whether it's the kid who goes to jail for the first time and Julie comes out and keeps going back in and out into their adulthood and the society deems them an animal, not understanding. Look at the circumstances they grew up in. This is an emotion that if they wore a uniform that said U.S. Army and they got this kind of, you know, shock overseas, then you would say we need to take care of them and treat them. Yet our inner cities are killing more people than the Taliban has. And we're not looking at these children, these victims of this war in the inner city, as having emotional issues that soldiers would. But how can they not? And so it shows up every day in their lives as they go on. Add that to the feeling of neglect that they feel from society. So they show up a certain kind of way. Their life is always reflecting back to them. And though they may talk to someone who hasn't gone through it, and a person's like, I don't understand it. All I see is that you did this. You should take responsibility for your action. Yeah, they did that. They robbed somebody. They sold drugs. They broke into somebody's house. They did whatever the crime was. But you don't see what's going on behind the scenes. So you don't understand their life is being shown to them through the mirrors. So the next one. No, okay, so um I I guess the thing that we're we're just sort of letting the um the listening audience know is that a lot for in, in this particular in, in this particular instance of of talking about um this aspect of the mirror that it it's a trauma that mm-hmm. ha- has has been brought forth and as a result of that trauma you are looking to avoid uh you know it shows up because you're looking to avoid a pain so let me let me see if i let me let me see if i could give an example that that um may be a little bit more relatable to our audience so uh a number of years ago i dated a gentleman that was a doctor (laughs) <laughs> and this was me going through my another coaching process with Reverend Harvey, and I, I was supposed I was put on an assignment to go on a few dates, and and you know as I was listening to the doctor, um, I realized that 
I was being tested in my experience with the doctor and and he was you know he I don't know what his trauma had been but this was what he presented to me and I concluded that he had gotten his heart trampled on several times over um but what he was presenting was a person you know he brought he brought some credentials there try, proving, you know, he brought a bag proving that he was a doctor. And um, also he wanted to make sure that I wasn't necessarily a gold digger. And um, he wanted me to pay the, <laughs> to tip the the person who was the, the waitress and you know and as I'm listening to him and I'm getting the information from him about just his life and his experiences of his dating experiences and whether or not you know he wasn't sure if he was going to pick me or going to not pick me and what have you and you know I was sitting in the car with him and he was taking me home after we finished this is by far the strangest date that I, that I had ever been on and I said, you know, maybe, you know, if you're preoccupied and concerned with women using you for because you are a doctor, because you have money, you may not want to necessarily leave with the fact that you're a doctor. I mean, <laughs> or that you have all the you have all this money. Um, the because it, the the thing was is that he. Um, he came across as a person who wanted to buy me. So would you say that this is, a, this is because of his experience, whatever that may have been, that he had been hurt a number of times mm-hmm. and he was trying to mitigate his pain by trying to control uh, aspects of the date and, and putting somebody to the test. So, so this is an, you would feel that this is an example of what you've that what you just described to us. In a sense, um, because yes, he is trying to mitigate the pain. So, <clears throat> what his life has been showing him is more in line. It's still this one, so yes, but it's more in line of what's been taken from us. You know. Okay. So he is showing oh. you all that he has because it's like women have. He showed up that way because it's happened to him before. And he's trying to get through this. He's trying to weed out anybody who's going to be like that. So this is what's been taken from him before. Somewhere along the line, someone who he really cared about, who he had invested some degree of heart to, took it from him. You know, she only was interested in him because he was a doctor, because he had money. Obviously, her her mindset was, you're a doctor. You can buy me this. We can do that. And she wasn't into him as much as she was into what he had. And so his mirror from that point on had been, this is how women show up. And so, yeah, he was testing you because that's what life had been reflecting back to him. Okay. All what right. Well, thank you. Yeah, which is good because that was the last one on there. But, yeah, essentially it's what you're saying. Once we have a pain, if you will, a stressor that turns into an actual pain, then how we deal with that 
shows up in our lives. So with this one, this is really more about the pain than anything else because it's about what we've lost, what's been taken from us, you know, what we've given away. So it's about how after we've had this, we keep judging it over and over again because it keeps reflecting in our lives. And we're like the woman who says, why do I keep finding the wrong guy? And, uh, you know, coach who says, because you're dating the same guy. He just has a different name. You're attracting this. It's your life reflecting to you. It's the mirror. It's the relationship that you now have with life based off of your paradigm. So the mirror is just reflecting it back to you. Once you learn, or and I don't want to use the term learn, once you discover, because I believe that, you know, as people who are connected to the all, we have all knowledge. We just don't know how to tap into it. So once you discover why you're creating this, or as Oprah used to say back in the 80s, once you change the record that's playing in your head, or as you once told me uh, back in 2015, it's the story that you're telling yourself. All that's the same. Once you change those things, then your mirror changes, and you will reflect something different because it has to begin within you before it can show up on the outside. Okay, okay. So the the next one? The next one is a reflection of our dark night of the soul. So first let me explain to everyone what a dark night of the soul is. The dark night of the soul is your deepest, scariest, worst nightmare happening to you. And when you go into that worst nightmare, a lot of people feel like it is the end of the world for them. Some people don't make it back. They really do not make it back. Just the other day I heard a woman who was talking about the work that she do um, and how after she lost a child, it was hard for her for many, many years. But she had reached a point where she realized that she is still who she is, but she had been trying to live the life she was when she had her son. Now she has to be who she is without a son. And it took her a while to realize who that is. But now she's out in the community, and she's helping other mothers who have lost their children to senseless violence. And what she said in the interview is, I realized this. They're just like me. But I made it back. And I, I never thought that other people go through this and they don't make it back. People go through things and they don't make it back, particularly when you hit the dark night of the soul. Because this is what your mind imagines is the worst possible place. You have put yourself in a hell of your own making. And much like what hell has taught to many people, there's no way out. But there is. But it's not for everyone if they don't get help or they can't find themselves because you truly lose yourself. So when it's a reflection of the dark night of your soul, it's when that thing that you've held as a strong fear finally comes upon you. Fear is a very strong attraction energy. 
You know, you attract things by what you focus your mind on. The more love you give to it, the quicker you can attract it. But also, the more fear you put to it, the quicker you can attract it. And so I had these conversations with people about how America has this infatuation that seems to grow decade after decade with horror stories. Someone once asked me, it was just in August, so you don't like horror movies? What is it, get you scared? I say, I'm not going to spend my hard-earned money for someone to scare me. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> now, to a lot of people listening, it makes perfect sense. They love it. What they're seeking is the adrenaline rush. There are a lot of other ways you can get adrenaline rush. And anyone who's familiar with Dr. Emoto's water study sees what fear does to you. Fear destroys the body. So every time you're giving away your money, you're paying Hollywood to help ruin your health. You're paying them to hurt you <laughs> because they are. <laughs> this fear that you become addicted to, and fear is addictive, which makes it even worse. But this fear that you're now addicted to, you love it and all these other crazy scare movies, you like to jump. You, you know, if you go to a movie and you haven't jumped at least five times, this is a thumbs-down horror movie. Yeah, you like that feeling of being afraid. But that feeling of being afraid, your body does not like. And so it has internal effects that shows up. You know, in a form of anxiety. No wonder so many people are on anxiety medication. No wonder every third person you meet has a medical marijuana card, and it ain't just so that they can smoke marijuana. (laughs) (laughs) So we, we as a country are doing this to ourselves because we're choosing things that aren't spiritually for our highest good. Horror movies do not operate off of the highest vibration. The vibration that it gives you is on the low end. So when we're talking mirrors and we're talking about the dark night of the soul, if you hold in mind that something bad is going to happen, particularly this one thing that is your deepest fear, every time you see it coming to you, you you know, that fear in you starts to come out. And all that fear is doing is attracting it even more so until you eventually get there. And you don't realize that you were the one who brought it upon you. You know, you see, you can cite all the outside circumstances, but you don't realize, you know, from a law of attraction perspective that you did it. But you saw these signs. These signs were only the mirror of what's going on in your mind. And this mirror kept showing up over and over because it was triggered by the fear until eventually you got to that worst point. And if you have someone who says, oh, my God, if that ever happened to me, I don't know what I would do. I'd be no good. Those are usually the kind of people who, when it does happen, can't come back unless somebody strong reaches down and help pull them out. Okay. Okay, and now we're we're ready for number five? We are ready for number five. Okay. Number five <laughs> is going to bring some sunshine into the dark and gloominess. I've just cast it upon you with the last two. <laughs> <laughs> number five is a reflection of our greatest act of compassion. 
Unfortunately, we don't hear enough stories of random act of kindness, but random acts of kindness happens all the time. It happens when someone opens a school in an economically depressed area to help people get a better education. It happens in a supermarket when someone comes up short and someone pays for their food. It happens when a billionaire pays everyone's student loan in a graduating class. It happens all the time. We just don't hear about random acts of kindness. It happened just earlier this week. Well, it's Sunday, so it's beginning of a new week. But it happened just last week. A little boy on his fourth and first healthy birthday, first time he was not in the hospital on his birthday, this little boy had wished for 100 bumblebees from the movie Transformers. And so his mom went online and ask for anyone with a yellow car to come out. And this street, Main Street in their town, was parked, was filled with cars, parked one behind another, all yellow Mustangs with a black stripe through the center. And the little boy was so happy. He got to sit inside every one of those cars. She said, one guy responded, I just want to see him smile. And she said she cried. Random acts of happiness. So the last mirror, mirror number five, is a reflection of our greatest act of kindness. When someone does something for you and it just blows your mind, it's like, wow, I can't believe they did that. It's because you have a mirror for kindness. You do things for other people. You have put kindness out into the world. So sometimes that may just show up if someone, you know, when you're in the supermarket, you come up short and someone say, don't worry about it, I got it, and they pay for it. Or an example, <laughs> it's interestingly enough, since it was basically a table filled with metaphysicians, a couple years back when our good friend Reverend Jamel graduated, from interfaith ministry, ministerial school, um, I went up to, along with some other people from our church, we went up to New York for his graduation. And afterwards, we went down into the village, and so we were eating in this little Chinese place. And in the village was a well-known rapper. And so everybody's like, is that so-and-so? Is that so-and-so? Is that so-and-so? And so it was like, yeah, yeah, that's him, you know. And he was sitting at the table that was across from our table. And we were having conversations, as does, you know, ministers do and people from the church do. And so we were talking about some really positive, uplifting stuff. We were putting out good energy. And he was ear hustling. You could see it. <laughs> he was listening to our conversation. So the brother got up, and he started to leave, and he turned around to us, you know, and so he gave us a greeting and said goodbye to us. And so we all said goodbye to him. After he was outside the door, it was a Chinese uh, restaurant. The Chinese guy comes out, and he tells us, you know, that gentleman 
paid for your food. You see, that was an act of kindness. You know, he heard and liked what we were saying, the energy that we were putting out. And, yes, that was a direct one in the moment, but it was also a reflection of our greatest kindness, you know. People were there talking about, don't worry about it. If you ain't got it, I'll cover it. You know, we'll be able to cover the bill. You know, eat what you want to eat. And so it was just, it was a family of people who was being loving and kind to one another, just talking about wonderful stuff and being wonderful to each other, you know. And here's someone who felt that energy and the mirror of how we was being was reflected in his act of kindness. So the fifth mirror is your greatest act of kindness. When people show up, usually in the time when you need it most. Now, this wasn't the time when we need it most, so it doesn't always have to be that way, but usually in a time when you need it most. When someone shows up and someone shows up kind, if you've been putting out kind thoughts, if you do kind things for other people, it's like they say, what you put out comes back tenfold. Well, the mirror reflects the kind of mind that you have, the relationship that you have with the world. So if my relationship has been one of always trying to be nice and kind and do good things for other people, guess what's going to happen? Someone's going to be nice and kind and do good things to me. You know, And I'm going to end it with this. I've said to you before, I told you this story before, as a black man in the United States of America, the prevalent thought in much of America, particularly around inner cities, is that police are on one side of the line and you're on the other side of the line. And at 50, I can say I have never really had a negative experience with police. So, my mindset when I see them is not necessarily one of fear or that they're going to treat me other than they would treat somebody else who may not look like me. My mindset is that I'm going to be treated fairly because that's what I expect. So earlier this year, you know, I was working on this film over on the west side, actually in the inner city in one of the worst neighborhoods of the inner city. And so I pulled my car up, actually blocking traffic, trying to turn into the street, and the cop says, well, you can't turn down there. They're filming. And so I leap out of my car, walk around my car to the cop. Now, for some people I tell that to, they're like, Yo, yeah, that's crazy. You could have got shot. No, that wasn't even part of my paradigm. It wasn't even part of my mindset. The cop rolled his window down even further, and he looked up at me, I mean, he initially gave me this look like, what you doing? <laughs> but he didn't, his hands didn't get twitchy. He didn't jump out of the car. It was like they're filming a movie down there. I said, I know, my car is supposed to be on set right now. And so, you know, they had someone from the movie set come. And I'm holding traffic up, mind you, you know, because I parked my car. I stopped my car in the middle of the street between the traffic, between the traffic light and jumped out, you know. And they had someone from the set come down. The police backed up so that I could go through, and they escorted me down onto the set. So my mindset, my mirror there, you know, and this is just barely an act of kindness, but it was an act of kindness because he didn't respond as if a negative energy was coming towards him. He responded as if I'm just 
any other citizen, hey, what are you doing, man? You know, that's what I told you, this movie. His voice didn't change. The only thing that happened was in the moment of me jumping out of my car coming around, you know, he kind of froze his brow. Like, what you doing? <laughs> that, that was the only reaction I got from him. You know, there was no sense of him feeling like danger. It was just a sense of, yo, what you doing, man? So, uh, again, you know, that act of kindness, what you hold in your mind is going to be reflected in your universe. Okay, okay. Um, thank you so very much. Now, um, I guess the question, if, would you say that um, that the if somebody was looking to change their mirror, and change what the f- reflection is, um, what could they, yeah, I mean, do you, do you have a simple answer as to what they could do to to change it, uh, change their paradigm or the way they are, what, what it is that they're putting out? I have a simple answer, but it's not a simple process. The <laughs> mind is very resistant. You know, if you don't get the mind young, then the mind is very resistant. And the world today is filled with opposition. So it's almost as if for someone today to change their mind, they'd have to go back to old school being a hermit. (laughs) It helps better if you're in a group, but you really have to be super diligent with it because for starters, you need to know how to pay attention to the mind. And a lot of people don't know how to do that. You know, we don't monitor our thoughts. We have over 4 billion thoughts. They come in and out every day. And so the kind of monitor, where am I? What am I thinking? That takes a lot, and it's tiring. And so to create that new habit, that takes a lot. You have to really be diligent. So is there a short answer? Yes. Be diligent of what you think and change it. Think only of what you want. That is the short answer. With that said, <laughs> that's not easy. <laughs> you know, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. You know, that's the first part of the silver method. You know, in the first hour they tell you, before you even get into a process called mental housekeeping, think only of what you want. Yeah, you say that, but that is not an easy thing. So it's not an easy process. Um, if you can partner up at least with one person who can who you can bounce thoughts off of, ideas off of, because what's going to happen is this. In the beginning, you're going to feel like you are battling with your mind. And it's going to be like, man, I can't do this, you know, because your mind wants to go where your mind goes. The mind often, when you pay attention to it, you realize it doesn't even finish a complete thought. You might be thinking this and just jump to something else, boom, and then something else, and then something else. And so trying to focus on it, you may do it and like, okay, I had a thought there. I didn't like it. I changed it. I'm good. After a while, you'll delude yourself into thinking that you're making progress and you do it all the time, but your life hasn't changed, you know. And it's like I've been doing it now for six months and I'm not seeing any changes. Yeah, because you think you're doing it. There's so many thoughts that you have. There are those deep thoughts that are still thoughts that make you slightly angry. There are still thoughts that life is 
this way and that this person is supposed to act that way and all these other judgmental thoughts. You're catching the big ones that come across your mind. You're not getting the small ones. And so you're saying life hasn't changed. Well, because your prevalent thought, the one you have the most, is still of the wrong thing, not what you want. So then when you start digging deeper and you go into that, now you feel like you're about to go crazy because these thoughts don't release easily. Okay, you got that one out of the way. 30 seconds later, there's another one. How did you sleep slip in there? And while you're battling this, your mind didn't shift into something else, and you feel like you're chasing your mind all over the place, and it is exhausting. And you're trying to figure out why is my mind like this? So meditation helps because if you can get to meditation where you're calming your mind down, even if you're not going into a complete state of clear where your mind is just blank, meditation where you're able to start to calm your mind down. Now it's like having to deal with that hyper kid who's always running around and got five times more energy than you do, but you found a way to get the kid to slow down, and it's a little easier to watch him. Your mind is like that. Okay, so now once you're into that stage of it, it becomes a little easier. But then you have to watch what you feed your mind. And this is where it gets hard once again. Because if you like horror movies, you still like horror movies. So you're likely to go see one. And it starts to put back certain kinds of thoughts in your mind. If you like politics, you still like politics. It affects <laughs> your emotions. And you know mm-hmm. that's my thing right there. <laughs> it affects your emotions. If you like action and adventure films, you still like action and adventure films. It puts certain things in your mind, and it affects your emotions. So it's, it's a continuous battle, and it's never that you get to a point where it's done forever. You get to a point where you tip the scales, and that's what you're looking to do, tip the scale. You want to tip it from being whatever it currently is that's producing what you currently don't want in your life, you know, whether that's a poverty thought or it's a thought of lack or um, bad health, whatever it is, to the opposite, where your primary thoughts is on the opposite of that. Now, I'm in good health all the time. And so affirmations help with that. Visualization is really good at that. Seeing yourself and then acting as. They say fake it till you make it. I say don't worry about faking it till you make it because if you're faking it, it's not going to happen. Believe it until you see it. So you keep that mindset that it is happening. This is happening. Don't even worry about it. This is happening. And you act in every moment that you can be conscious of in the way or as you, if you have that very thing that you want. And then the next level, you go outside and you come in contact with other people, people who have their own vision and judgment of you. Now, if you could constantly be around people who allow you to be who you are and love you that way, you're blessed and you're lucky. But most people don't have that. You have people who think different things because you show up different ways for different people. And if there are certain people in your life 
who you are not necessarily the nicest person to for whatever reason. Now that person shows up and you go back to having to deal with the inner me because you're judging yourself for not being nice to this person. And it's like, wait a minute, you know, aren't I on this path to where I'm changing this kind of energy? Why is it I still snap at this person? What is it about this person that irks me so much? Oh, I don't know, but they just get under my skin, you know? So that (laughs) challenge comes in. And, That is a part of it. Trust me, I don't care who you are. No one is completely saintly. You're going to have anger. And if you judge yourself for being anger, you're going to like some people more than you like other people. If you judge yourself for that, you know, you're not always going to be the nicest person. That's not the goal here. The goal here is to be authentic, you. But get down to the authenticity of who you really are, not who you think you are. The authenticity is knowing this person pushes my buttons because they're showing up with this mirror, because they're only a reflection of you. So what is it that this person is bringing out in you? It comes from a mirror. What's behind the mirror? What's behind the mirror is fear. There's only two pure energies, love and fear. Even anger is a byproduct of fear. It's love and fear. You're either acting from love or acting from fear. And for a lot of people, they can't tell the difference because parental love often shows up as a form of fear. So it's one of the second to them. So, yeah, you have to be willing to really invest time and go deeper and deeper and deeper. And every level you go deeper, there are bigger and badder challenges that you have to deal with. And if you can understand that you're only having a relationship with yourself and everything that's happening, everything that's happening, everything that's showing up in your world is reflecting to you something about you. But whatever that something is, it's coming from fear or love. And you can just focus your mind on operating from the love. That's probably going to be the easiest way. But that's not easy. That's easier said than done. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, thank you, Reverend Harvey, so much for joining us this early, early morning. (laughs) Mm -hmm. No problem. Yeah. Um, And... um, yeah, uh, one of the things that I want to share with uh, with all of you is is in order to meet those challenges that Reverend Harvey talked about, in order to change what's showing up in your mirror, it, it's really good to really be amongst the community of people who will hold you accountable for mm-hmm. how it is that you're showing up, and. And, and having that support system actually does make it easier. And I know that that for myself, one of the things that I am currently cultivating is developing methods and meditations that actually facilitate the changes uh, in the mirror that Reverend Harvey has been talking about, about how you can, how you can go ahead and release those traumas, how it is that you can uh, draw in the the type of love life that you want instead of the one that you had been conditioned to. So 
so there there are methods and there are ways of having this done and it is my goal to make that as easy as possible because of the work that I've done with Reverend Harvey and also the self-study that I've done over the years um, that has been a part of my mission so that it could <laughs> so, that, so that we can get a little bit more control over the monkey mind but thank you so much Reverend Harvey and if anybody has any questions you can press the number one, and I can bring you on going once, going twice. All you have Don't to do is press the number one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're going to go ahead and close this out. Thank you so much, uh, family. And we're going to go ahead and give Reverend Harvey a hand again. You're welcome, you're welcome And just know family that we love you We bless you, we appreciate you We thank God for you And we know that wherever Oh, I'm sorry Reverend Harvey, how can Uh the family get a hold of you If they're interested in working with you? Sure You can reach me at The One Thought The email address is The One Thought T-H-E-O-N-E T-H-O-U-G-H-T at gmail.com or you can contact me at 443-388-0356. Leave a message and I will get back to you within 24 hours. Okay. All right. So, family, like I said, we love you. We bless you. We appreciate you. We thank God for you and we know that wherever you are, God is. We'll see you next week. Bye. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.